Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary for Saturday the 7th of January 2023. This is a look at the tools I'm using in my self-publishing business in 2023 and this is part one as I decided to split it over two episodes. Coming up in this episode I'll be talking about the writing and editing tools that I use in my business and why I like them. We'll delve into my current preferences for web hosting and creating websites. I'll walk you through the book listing platforms that I'm using at the moment and I'll share my thoughts on them. You'll also be hearing my preferences regarding graphics creation tools, the marketing techniques that I'm finding most effective at the moment, and the blogs and websites that I get the most value from. And just as a disclaimer at the beginning of this, these are not necessarily recommendations. This is all personal opinion. So take it or leave it. These are just the things that are working for me at the moment. You may hear some things in here, some nuggets that really you find work for you in your own writing business. Let's start with writing and editing tools. And right at the top of the list there is Scrivener. Now Scrivener, you'll hear mentioned all the time in writing podcasts. I've used it for many, many books now. It's reliable, it works, it's not glitchy. It does what it says on the box. It's very widely used by self-published authors. And in actual fact, I've just written the book that I've just completed and the next book I'm writing, they're all gonna be written in Scrivener. Now the problem with Scrivener, problem in inverted commas, is that it is not cloud-based. And I'm really looking long-term for something cloud-based. But at the moment, I'm working on my home PC. There's no problem, so I'm happy to use Scrivener. And I'll talk to you about the other cloud-based solutions in a moment or two and why I haven't quite jumped fully into them 100% just yet. But I think Scrivener is extremely cheap. I can't believe it's as cheap as it is now. I can't remember when I bought it last time. It's a few years ago, but I think it was 30, 40 pound, something of that type of price so I'm assuming it hasn't changed very much since then but yeah it just works now the tip with Scrivener because it doesn't automatically create backups is to save the Scrivener files to a file that you back up on Dropbox or OneDrive or Google Drive all my Scrivener files are backed up to Google Drive so if I ever had a critical error on my PC I've got those Scrivener files in the cloud I would just bring them back down onto my new PC to be able to work on them again or as I did in Spain I took my Windows laptop out to Spain saved all the Scrivener files onto the cloud there and then when I got back onto my PC I could just bring them back down the latest files back onto my PC so the really the top tip with Scrivener is it's great but always make sure you're backing it up in the cloud somewhere that's really my recommendation with Scrivener and it still hasn't been moved out of the way by any of the other softwares that I've been taking a look at. So let's discuss those softwares now. Living Writer, I think at the moment, is the closest to Scrivener in that it does all the little bits. It has all the cards, the planning cards that you can move around. It has character profiles. You can put notes about scenes and locations in there. It, it really is a, a one-stop shop. And these are there are silly things that I like about it that you can actually, it integrates with Canva. So you can create, I've just created poor quality covers, but it just helps me locate the books. These I've got poor quality Canva covers that I made on, on, on all of my files in there. And it just makes it look aesthetically pleasing. That's just a small thing, but something I quite like so I can identify my books quickly. Now, Living Writer, as I say, is the closest to Scrivener in terms of a cloud-based writing tool. But we haven't got those smart quotes sorted out yet. Now they've promised, and they've promised again, that it's imminent, that a big update is imminent, but it hasn't arrived yet, or they certainly haven't told me that it's arrived. So I can't change yet, lock, stock and barrel, 
to Living Writer. When they make that announcement, when they deliver those updates, then I shall be in there and I shall try writing a full book in Living Writer. I do long term and strategically need and want to change to a cloud based system simply to allow my writing to be portable when we travel because we're doing a lot of travel. I want to do even more travel in the future. I want to be away from home for some time, but I need my business to be completely portable so I can take it on a phone and I can take it on a, I want to just take it on a Chrome laptop. I don't want to take a, a Windows laptop. A Chromebook is fast, simple, light to carry when you're traveling. So I'd rather everything came straight through a Chromebook if I can do that. So Living Writer, still one to watch. We need this latest update. They've promised the, the uh, smart quotes, but I'm not going to use it until the smart quotes are there at the moment. What I'm doing is writing in Scrivener and I've got Living Writer open on the second screen on my PC and I've got all my character profiles and all my notes in Living Writer, but I'm not doing the writing in Living Writer just yet because I cannot face the pain of exporting the file and then having to change all the quotation marks to smart quotes. I'm, I'm not doing that. Now, there is one thing that actually, as I've been talking to you, has just occurred to me. That is that when I extract my files from Scrivener to Word to send to an editor, when I get my Word file back from an editor, what I do is I, I make the changes and then pull the finished manuscript. The finished manuscript will then go into Vellum. And now I think about it, I'm pretty sure it's a little while since I've done it, but I'm pretty sure Vellum will change those quotes to curly quotes automatically. So it might just do that with a living writer file. That's something I'm going to have to check separately. But at the moment, it's not a simple one stop shop. It's not doing it very simply for me. When I write in Scrivener, those quotes are curly quotes, which is how I want them. So that's a bit of an issue for me at the moment. The other thing is Novel Factory. If you've listened to this podcast for, podcast for some time, you'll know that I've used Novel Factory. I still like it to plan, particularly for my character profiles. But I have pretty well stopped using Novel Factory now, not because I don't like it. I do like it. I like the download version. What I was unable to change to was the cloud version. I didn't get on with the cloud version as well as I did with the download version. So I have been using the downloaded version of it, but I've pretty well migrated to Living Writer now for this book. So I used Novel Factory for the three books that I wrote last year. So 2021, 2022, but the books I'm writing now, I'm using Living Writer to create my character profiles and I'm doing that on the cloud. Now I still have Novel Factory on my PC. I was still looking at the Novel Factory, going back to the Novel Factory, my old files, to look at the old Walk and Bay files and character files to see what I'd written there. But I have pretty well migrated to the Living Writer now. But again, I know a lot of people use Plotter. Plotter is something I've never used. Ne never really felt the need to pay for a separate software to do that. That's really why I haven't used Plotter. So I've no experience of it other than I looked at it once and thought, don't need this. I'm doing this already in different ways. But Novel Factory, I still like, and they have a free trial on it. So if you just want to know about a piece of software that has worked for me very well for years, always take a look at the Novel Factory. It's just one more thing to take a look at. Now, interestingly, the free web-based, cloud-based tool, writing tool, that just works simply and just gets on with it is the Reezy free tool. Reezy I used when I was in Spain to write with. It's great. It's robust. It doesn't do anything weird. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. I had no trouble with the text that I took out of it. So Reedsy, I like. The only reason I don't switch to Reedsy 
is because it doesn't do the character profiles and all the extra bells and whistles that I wanted in a writing software. But also, for somebody like me who needs things neat and tidy, Reads is just part of, you know, the writing tool in Reads is really there to try and get you to use their editors and to get to use all the contractors that they use there, you know, the book designers and, and all of those sorts of products and services that they sell through Reads. That's really why it's there. And so to, to access that interface, you have to kind of go through the Readsy marketplace. You have to go through a cluttered interface. And I would rather it was just a dedicated writing tool. So, so that's me just being really pernickety and fussy. I just want the thing kind of neat and tidy. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with that Readsy writing tool. And it's free. And it doesn't do anything weird at all. It's just kind of ready to use. So if you just need a, a cloud-based writing tool that's ready to go, look at the free Readsy writing tool. I've got to mention Word here. When I started writing my books, they were written in Word. I mean, it was such a different landscape. I think I started writing in 2014. We've got so many, so many different things now. I was, who was I discussing with? I was talking to somebody the other day about what a pain it used to be to get your paperbacks done and how easy it is now, you know, just to do it in vellum. So I had to start on Word. We all started on Word. And usually we have to go back to Word because editors tend to like to use Word for track changes and things like that so that you can write in Attica, send your editor, I think what looks like a Word file or is a Word file, they can make their changes and then you can bring it back into Atticus again. But to my knowledge, last time I looked at Atticus, that's not there. So if I talk to you about what I've done in this latest book, I wrote it in Scrivener, I exported it as a Word file. I actually tend to edit in Word because I actually really like the spelling and grammar checker within Word, which I think's improved a lot of late and make sure you set it to US English or UK English in the settings, you know, just so you don't get kind of annoying change suggestions. But I like the spelling and grammar checker because it gives me corrections or it gives suggestions for corrections at a level that I can cope with. One of my bugbears with Pro Writing Aid, and I know you can switch things on and off on Pro Writing Aid, but what I, what I can't deal with is like an overwhelming number of corrections. So when I finished writing the, the book that I've just sent to, my, to the editor, I, I read it through, my wife read it through, and then I put it into Word and it came up with 500 and something corrections. That's after two of us had read the thing through. And there were still things in there like repeated words, double full stops at the end of sentences. We've both been through it and we hadn't spotted those things. Interesting, I'm reading a book that's in the book charts at the moment. I've got it out of the library. And I think I've spotted, because my eyes are, are trained for this now, not so much. They're better trained for it when I'm actually specifically looking for edits. So I tend to be a bit sharper when I'm doing the last reads, when it's been through an editor, it's been through myself and my wife, it's been through beta readers. When I'm doing that kind of last read where I'm simply reading for edits, I'm not doing anything else, I'm not being creative, I'm not adding words, taking words, this is the final cut, if you want. That's when I tend to be better. But when I'm reading this book at the moment, I've spotted three mistakes in there. I think one of them was to do with a full stop. They're usually to do with gaps, actually, additional gaps that nobody's spotted between letters, usually at the end of a sentence. So that's interesting. That's in a professionally, say professionally published, a traditionally, that's a better word to use, isn't it? A traditionally published book. So yeah, Word, Word is, is, is fine. You're generally going to have to use it for an editor. So when the book comes back, it will come back with, you know, all the changes in. You either accept or reject the changes. And then what I would tend to do is I will get that Word document as pristine as I can. And I'll switch off all the changes so that it's just a, a normal document and then I will bring it into Vellum 
and start to process it as the final version. And I'll also bring that last version into my Scriv Scrivener manuscript too, so I've got it saved. So in my Scrivener file, I have the first draft, the draft that I've written. I have the draft that's sent to the editor, and I have the draft that comes back from the editor, and then I'll put the published draft. So I generally have about I have the four kind of main drafts. So I've got them all backed up in the Scrivener file should I ever need them. And of course, the main file at that point will be the vellum file. So I, I'm just big on backups. You don't ever want to lose a book, basically. So backup, that's the, the kind of advice with that. So yeah, I don't really like Word. I say it has got better. I always back up everything in the cloud. So that's another backup I've got. You know, I always click that little button in the top left-hand corner that says backup to cloud or wherever it is it goes. So I back up all my Word documents up now. And one thing I have to mention is that it has got Word has got dictation built in now. So again, when I started this lark, you had to pay for Dragon dictation, which was about a hundred pounds, if I remember rightly. I don't even know whether you can get it now, can you? Or certainly not on, on the PC. I don't hear people talking about it now. But I think that really it's getting overtaken by AI tools nowadays. Word has got built-in dictation, which I've tried, and it's very good. And Google Docs has got built-in dictation, which is also very good. So I kind of think it's been superseded, really, by built-in technology. I must mention Atticus. I think at the moment that Atticus and Living Writer are almost neck and neck. I kind of prefer Living Writer. I'd, I'd like, I hope Living Writer is the one that wins, because Living Writer has all the kind of character profiles and tools that I like in it and, it and it mimics more what Scrivener looks like you know but Atticus again is I don't you know they've got the smart quotes in there now and I keep listening to Jerry Evanoff who 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 introduced me to Living Writer that's where I heard about it first and decided to give it a try and I know that Jerry like me is is jumping between Living Writer and Atticus and, and and every time I think I've settled on the one I'm going to use I hear Jerry say oh you know there's a problem this was jumping or this wasn't working for me so you know, I, it really is the jury is out on those two. And I'm literally I'm, I'm waiting for Living Writer and Atticus to reach a, a, a critical point where they just kind of work and do what I want them to do. And that's probably the change that I will make. Now, with Atticus, of course, I've paid one fee and I own Atticus now. So I'm never going to have to pay anything for Atticus again. So I could always switch back to it. Whereas Living Writer, I've paid for a year. And, and at the end of that year, frankly, if Living Writer hasn't made the grade by the end of the year when I've, I've kind of paid for it, then I'll probably ditch it and, and look at Atticus again. And if all, if the worst comes to the worst, I'll just go to Reedsy because I've just gone so simply with Reedsy. But, you know, it's always swings and roundabouts. What I want is one tool to rule them all. I want one cloud-based tool to rule them all. That's what I'm looking for. And it's not there yet. I haven't found it yet. But living, you know, living writer and Atticus are always there. Living writer is the one I want to succeed because it does everything I want it to do. But they need to get a move on with the development and get that sorted. Basically, they're on a timer. You know, they've got this year that I've paid for. And then when, when the subscription comes up at the end of the year, if they're not ready by then, then I'll probably say, right, well, I don't want to pay for another year if it's not working and I'm not going to use it. And at that point, my attention will be diverted and I'll probably go elsewhere. So but I want living writer to be the one that wins because that's the one that is most suitable for me. In the meantime, I'm using Scrivener. I wanted to mention Grammarly and Pro Writing Aid. There was another one I used when I started. I've forgotten what it was called now. You don't hear much as much about it now. I started with one. I moved to Grammarly. I still prefer Grammarly to Pro Writing Aid. Every now and then when Pro Writing Aid have an offer on, and or when I hear Joanna Penn talking about how much she likes it, 
I sort of think, oh, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's something I'm doing wrong. Maybe the problem's me, not the software. I give it a try. And it, it, it just, it overwhelms me. What I was saying to you about Word is I like the spelling and grammar checker because I can cope with the number of corrections it gives me. They're, they're sort of reasonable corrections. But um, Pro Writing Aid, I'm just, just overwhelmed with what it says to me. And, and I just, you know, my brain can't compute without exploding. And I know you can switch things off, but actually what I find is a combination of using the word spell checker, grammar checker, and then I'm using free Grammarly at the moment. And they don't always agree, of course. This is the other thing. They don't always agree. So, you know, putting it through beta readers, putting it through an editor, I usually find that pretty well does the job. You know, lots and lots of pairs of eyes over it, including an AI that generally seems to catch things. I mean, if you think that the last set of three books that I published a year ago, do you remember that I didn't use a, you know, a qualified, a formal editor for those books? They got read many, 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 many times by beta readers who fed back and I made all their changes and I, I read it more times than I think I've ever read books before. And I haven't had yet, touch wood, one of those dreaded no notifications that you get in your Amazon dashboard that tells you there's a spelling error in your books. So they've survived a year without that. So they're clearly not riddled with them. I'm sure there's probably something in there, but they, you know, I'm assuming they, they can't be riddled with it or I'm sure somebody would have reported it by now. So that seems to work. And again, more context. I'm reading a traditionally published book. I've already found three errors in that book. So, you know, errors to a certain extent, we all just give a book a sweep. We keep looking, we're all doing the best we can. And we hope to get as many errors out as we possibly can by the time we reach publication. But you could bet your life, you know, by the time you've had a couple of thousand people reading your book, they'll, they'll have found all the errors in it. And that really is the final, final, final check, you know, to make sure you've caught absolutely everything. It's a bit like, I've always said this, it's a bit like when you release a piece of software. So when Windows release a new version of their software, they release it, they'll have tested, tested, tested. But the, when, when you let the customers get their hands all over it, there's always bugs that they find and they always have to release an update very, very quickly. And that, that's how I relate to a book. You know, you can have your best minds on it, your best sets of eyes, your most qualified people, but you, you only know that it's right when you release it out into the wild and the public will tell you if there's anything still in there. So I've got to finish with two old favourites, Google Docs. I still like Google Docs. When I What I do with Google Docs is as I'm writing and my wife's reading, I always just cut and paste from Scrivener. So I cut and paste the text from Scrivener, put it into a Google Doc, that Google Doc shared with my wife. So my wife reads it and I bring it up on my screen and just make the changes as I go along into the Scrivener document. That's way before the editor even gets it. So my wife, you know, will do a combination of sort of thorough read, she, she tells me what she spots. She queries things that she doesn't understand or I've just got wrong. You know, it's a, I would say my wife gives it a broad read. I get a broad read from my wife. And I, but I also say to her, is it all right? You know, did you enjoy it? Because my wife doesn't generally read thrillers. So that's usually what I'm after from her. Just that kind of broad, is this okay? Does it work? Was it boring? What do I need to fix immediately that obviously needs a fix? So Google Docs is great for that just a straightforward share. And the other thing is, is I, I usually look at the Google Doc. I don't chase her to read it. She reads it when she's ready. And I can see that she's been in and I can make the latest edits. I can always see the latest edits when she's done them. And I just work through them as they come in. And that works really well for me. So I still like Google Docs. I use it a lot. And of course now, because I use 
Google Docs, Google Drive so much across everything that I do in, in my own life and in my business. I pay for it now. I can't remember what it is. It's not very much every year. And I've got 200 gigs of, of, of storage on it. So all my what was on Dropbox now goes up to my Google Drive anyway. So I store a heck of a lot of stuff on there at the moment. I've got about 120 something, 130 something gigs stored on there at the moment. So I'm nearly using my, my 200 storage limit. And the last one I must mention in this section, of course, is, is Vellum. I still don't think you can beat Vellum. And I know that in Living Writer, and I know that in Readsy, and I know that in Atticus, and virtually all the others, that you can export a file that you will then bring into Kindle or Draft the Digital or wherever you're listing your book. I have no desire to do that because I much prefer Vellum. And there's reasons that I prefer to use Vellum as well. Not just because I really like, I just like a simple book. I don't want to do anything fancy in my books. I just want a simple book, nicely laid out. Vellum just, I can't believe Vellum. It just kind of just fixes everything. It just makes everything look immediately amazing. And if you if you go back to the old days when you used to have to do all this stuff yourself, when I, when I started publishing books, self-publishing books, I used to upload a Word file and then I used to download it as HTML and I used to fix the HTML and then re-upload the adjusted HTML file because I knew about or enough about HTML to fix it. That's how I used to do my books to get them perfect. So when you've come from that, when you started and you've now got Vellum, you know, I just don't think you can beat Vellum. I, I absolutely love it. I think it's brilliant. It's still brilliant. And, and there's nothing that would make me want to come away from Vellum. And I guess, you know, because when, you, when you've bought Vellum, you've paid for it for life, you get all the updates, then really there's no reason to switch until it starts doing things, you know, that, that don't work and it hasn't done that, it just gets better all the time, then why would you switch really? That's how I feel about Vellum. But the other thing about Vellum, this is why I particularly like it, is it's really easy to create box sets with Vellum. Very, very easy to create box sets with Vellum. And if you think I've got box sets with three, six, nine, and 12 books in them, I'm a big user of box sets and I can make them in minutes in Vellum. It's just drag and drop, really, really simple. But the other reason I like Vellum is I can have standard pages. Like I can have a, have a template for my other books in my series and I can just change the, the template page in Vellum and then I could just drag it into all the books so I could really update because I've got such a large back catalogue now something like 40 books published but I think about 33 32 30 something of those books are in Vellum the others are old ones I did years ago they're the old non-fiction ones which have images in them which were done in Word so so I got 30 something books in Vellum it's so easy for me now to just manage everything in Vellum and and to sort of batch process things. So I don't have to do things afresh in each file. I can drag, drop, duplicate, just do things really quickly. So I'm still using Vellum with Mac in Cloud. I have no problems with it. I've used it with Mac in Cloud for years. And I, I actually, I don't know whether I was, I can't have been the first one to come up with Mac in Cloud, but, but sometimes I, I wonder whether I was because it's all over the place. And everybody says, everybody knows about Mac in Cloud. But I'm certainly one of the first ones to use it with Mac and Cloud. But I just get on fine with Mac and Cloud. I, I use I use Pay as you go, and use Vellum, and I can't beat it, and I don't want to replace it. So I would still recommend Vellum to you for formatting and managing your books. Now, not if you're only going to write one or two books, you know, three books maybe. If that's all you aspire to do, and I'm not by all you aspire to do. I'm just talking about the number. The achievement is huge. Whether you know, even if you write one book. The achievement's huge. But if you're if you're a one, two, three book writer and that's your lot, I wouldn't get Vellum. But if you're in this for the long haul and you're gonna be doing, you know, 10, 20 books, 
definitely I'd say use vellum because you can scale up your work and it's very good for time management, I think. Let's move on to hosting and websites now. And you'll know if you've listened to me for any time that I like WordPress. WordPress is what I like to use for websites. But interestingly, in the corporate work that I've done over the years and in the work with students I've done more recently, I always say to people, well, maybe don't go to WordPress first. There are simpler ways of making a website. And I also talk about that in my book, My Author Platform Blueprint, because, you know, actually there's a learning curve with WordPress. And just like I said to you previously with Vellum, if your plans are, ju are just to write one, two or three books and, that, and that's your lot, that's fine. And it's the same with WordPress. If, if that was your plan, I just, I've got one book I want to write. That's, that's all I want to do. You know, I'm not in this for the long haul. I've just got this book that I want to write and get it out of my system. Well, you know, probably WordPress would be a lot of work to do for one book. So if you're in this for the long haul, and I've been doing this, not writing, but I've been using WordPress for what's the year, 13, 14 years now I've been using WordPress and it's grown with me because if you think 14 years ago, not everybody had a mobile phone, certainly not a smartphone like we have now. Tablets weren't all over the place like they are now. We didn't have responsive websites. You know, social media wasn't as quite as big in those days. And WordPress has grown and changed and pivoted with me as the technical world has done around me. So it's WordPress all the way for me. Now, until fairly recently, I was recommending on this podcast, SiteGround Hosting. SiteGround have been on my radar for years and years. I mean, since 2009, SiteGround have been around for years. And one of the things, I, I didn't use them years ago. I used to use HostGator years ago. HostGator have always been very simple and straightforward for, for beginners. But I, I, I left HostGator because, what, what was it What was it that HostGator did? It, it was it was frustrating, but I think they were, they were capping the, the packages or something. It was just, it, I'd used it for years and, and, and it was been brilliant. I'd used it for internet launches. Then all of a sudden they changed something and I thought, oh, it was giving me more problems. And when I had problems, you think, right, okay, it's less of a problem to just change my hosting provider than it is to, to you know, to keep, keep dealing with these problems. I can't remember what the, the problems were now with HostGator. SiteGround had been on my radar for years. And in fact, when I started using WordPress, SiteGround used to do some brilliant articles, brilliant how-to articles. So that's that's how I first started finding out about them, but I didn't use them for a long time. But the pain when I had to leave HostGator, I went to SiteGround and SiteGround for years were brilliant. And I don't know what it is. They always have to tinker with something. They always do something that wrecks it. I'd paid, I'd paid a lot of money up front for SiteGround. I mean, a couple of hundred pounds for about two to three years of hosting. That's how confident I was. Then all of a sudden, I started getting problems with my websites. They, some kind of resources thing that they were flagging. And, uh, and you know, I hadn't had it before. And it was just one of, I don't know what it was, some crazy thing. It was too technical. It was too technical for me to figure out what it was. I didn't, I didn't know what it was from the information I was getting. So I would contact the help desk. I get the same old, you know, nonsense. Oh yes, that's your overhead camshaft overdrive, you know, whatever it was they were talking about. And I just said, I don't understand. Can you just look at it and tell me what's wrong? If it's a plugin that's causing the problem, you know, whatever's causing the problem, I'll remove it and make the problem go away. But they would not give me a straight answer to a straight question. And so in the end, I'd, I'd fix something, I'd maybe disable a plugin and the problem would go away, or I, no, I'd increase the, I'd paid more for the hosting as well to see if that did it, nothing fixed it. And, and it was becoming such, they were, they were telling me I'd used all my resources for the month and then the website would disappear. Well, I can't have that. You can't have that, can you? Your website disappearing because that's business. So again, 
the problem always is, and this is going to come up a little bit later when I talk to you about another software, actually something current. The, when the pain gets so much, it forces you to jump out the saucepan because the water's too hot. And the pain got too much with the hosting. My sites were down and I needed to be writing books and I was solving problems that I shouldn't have had to solve. They weren't giving me any resolution with it. So I just switched. It was easier to just switch. So I switched. And actually, I got rid of a lot of websites too. And I was really put out with SiteGround because I had about 200, 300 pounds worth of credit there. Couldn't use it. Couldn't get resolution from a problem. Really, really cheesed off with them. And that, interesting, that's how I left HostGator. Used them for years. Delightfully happy. Whatever it was, they changed. They changed. Couldn't sort it out. Got ridiculous and, and moved on. And this really, this is why I like WordPress because I just back up my sites and I take them with me. If I don't like it, I just... You know, wherever I lay my WordPress hat is my home. So that's the great thing about WordPress is I don't lose anything. I use a plugin called Updraft Plus. Updraft Plus just backs up all my sites. I move my hosting and I just bring them all back from the dead in, in no time at all with no kind of technical hassles. And so I'm out of site ground now. And if you listen to an old episode of the podcast and you click on the what was the affiliate link, it'll take you to a page now saying I don't now recommend site ground. And what a shame, what a shame, because they've been on my radar for years and a bit of poor customer service and that bad experience losing two or three hundred pounds of, of forward hosting, which they wouldn't refund to me. You know, here I am now telling you not to use SiteGround. So, you know, it's, it's, it's never worth, isn't it, not listening to customers. Anyhow, so what have I moved on to? Well, bit by bit, for my domain names, for years, the first domain name I ever hosted, which was a site called normalbodies.com, I think it was. This is years ago when I was working at the BBC and me and my mates on the website, we decided to set up something commercial. I had, I had another pulting bright idea and we were, we were setting up this website. It was the first website I'd ever done. I couldn't do it at that stage. I needed the guys to show me how to do it. And we registered my first domain name on fasthosts.co.uk and, and I've used it ever since for my domain names because it's been great, it's absolutely fine. So, I mean, how many years is that? 2009, 15 years I must have used FastHost. Never had a problem, never had an issue, absolutely fine. All my domain names have been and always have been on FastHost, just nice and nice and simple. And what I do is if you know anything about this technically, I just, I just point the, the domain names to, to my hosting, wherever that is. And, and that is actually a technical tip I would give you. What I recommend that you do for complete autonomy with this is keep your domain names separate from your hosting because if you've got your domain name on your hosting package it's even it's a bigger nightmare to to move it whereas if you've got your if you've got your domain names you know somewhere like fast host or namecheap wherever you decide to do it and you point them to the hosting it's a lot quicker if you have a situation like i did with hostgator and siteground it's a lot quicker to repoint them and and you know, change your site. You have less downtime if you do it that way. So I always keep them separate. Well, actually, <laughs> I, I have done till now, but bit by bit, I saw I had to find some hosting for my websites when I came out of SiteGround, and uh, and fast hosts do bespoke WordPress hosting. I prefer bespoke WordPress hosting because it's faster. The sort of servers are tuned to work with WordPress websites. And I do like what's called an auto installer, which is where you just click one button and it installs WordPress for you. So I can I can install WordPress from the files using FTP, creating what's it called a MySQL database. I have done and can do it that way. There's no point doing it that way. You might as well just use an auto installer. So I use an auto installer where you just click one button and it it, it installs WordPress for you. So fast hosts have a, an auto installer. 
and they had WordPress hosting and they were tempting me with an offer for I think it was a pound or one pound 20 a month for six months for their WordPress hosting so I needed a quick fix so I went to fast hosts and I moved paulteague.net over to fast hosts hosting and it was really simple and it was, and it was straightforward and I, I then moved the podcast website over to that as well and bit by bit by bit I've kind of thought oh I quite like this this works really well for me it's very simple I'm having no trouble with the websites at all you know no, none of these obscure technical hassles that I was getting with SiteGround the support's been very good and so bit by bit I've been building things up and and I, 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 I reached the point the other day when I needed to bring one of my wife's websites back from the dead for her it was all backed up using Updraft Plus and so I, I'd reached the point where I had been running two of these websites and each of those websites had had a, a a trial period of six months at a pound or one pound 20 a month and then it went up to six pound a month and then when I got the third website that meant I was paying 18 pound a month for hosting and at that point it was cheaper for me to, to change to a, a a different package on fast host so I've now literally just in the last couple of days actually at the time of recording this I've now changed to a fast hosts package which allows me to put 10 websites onto onto the hosting package now I'm, I'm, it's just cheaper now now I've got three websites it's cheaper for me to do that I've actually now got five websites on that hosting because I brought a couple of others back for the day I thought well I, I might as well I might you know I might as well do this and an actual fact I, I could let my kids have a little bit of space on it too so I'm coming to an arrangement with the kids who who, who want a bit of space and we could all kind of get it at a cheaper price so I've broken my rule of not having my domain names at a different place from my hosting, but I am getting on extremely well with Fast Hosts hosting at the moment. And it's a crying shame that I can't recommend HostGator or SiteGround to you at the moment. I mean, there's, there's just there's nothing wrong with the services. You know, they're, they're great services, but I hit a problem, you know, with SiteGround that they they couldn't give me any sensible advice for from a you know, I've got reasonable technical knowledge, but I, I couldn't work out what the heck this was. And I just thought, you must be able to interrogate this and tell me what on earth is causing the problem. Yeah, I could not get an answer from them. And it's left a very bitter taste in the mouth, me writing off two or three hundred pounds of, of prepaid hosting. You know, that's how desperate I was to get out because it was causing me so many problems. So yeah, fast hosts. That's what I'm using for hosting at the moment. And then I use as my template my theme if you want yeah my theme on I use something called Optimize Press and I've used Optimize Press since my days of internet marketing I think we're on Optimize Press 3 now I've used it since Optimize Press 1 days it was always brilliant for internet marketing I used to build membership sites on it and all sorts you know it's, it was really flexible and I use it now and continue to use it now that's generally because I get factored in on because I've been a customer for so long, I'm factored in on discount, you know, pricing and things like that. So it's only about £80 a year, something like that. And I get on extremely well with it because I've used it for so many years. Now, I'm not going to suggest that you use Optimize Press. If you are, I, don't, I wouldn't count myself as an advanced WordPress user, but I'm a, how would you describe it? Experienced. Experienced? Yeah. So I, I kind of know one end of WordPress from another, but I'm not that hugely technical with it. I would generally suggest don't use Optimize Press, you know, unless you're you would you would put yourself at the same kind of skills level as I've got, because it's not one of those things that you just install and you wander in and, and you're fine with it. So, for instance, you use an API key to 
validate the theme now if that's like if that you know if you listen to that and you go oh my goodness what he's what's he talking about don't use optimized press what i would suggest you look at instead and this is what i generally recommend to people you know who are starting out use elementor it's it's a similar thing to elementor but it just does slightly different things but if you look at elementor mentors free in the wordpress plugins but it also has a paid upgrade. Upgrade, and frankly, you know, Elementor is the best place to start because you can start for free, have a little play, get used to it, and then you'll you'll probably want to upgrade because it, you, all the all the really good stuffs in the in the paid version. But probably look at Elementor. That's the one I would suggest that you look at. Or Divi is another worth worth a look. And another one I've used is Thrive Themes. I still <laughs> use Thrive Themes actually to deliver some of the marketing functions I have in the background of my website. But I'm tending to I've tended to move pretty well lock, stock, and barrel to optimize press now. Now, if you don't want to use WordPress, what what do I tell you know what have I recently been telling students to do? What I tell students to do is I say, look, if you just want a website, if you want a web presence done by the end of the day for free, just make a Facebook page. Make a Facebook page. Because Facebook pages are public facing and you get to ride on the coattails of one of the biggest websites in the web universe, not the biggest nowadays, but one of the biggest. And it gets you ranked in the search engines really fast. If you make sure you fill in the about us data and put keywords in there, you'll find that you can get ranked very fast. And so long as you've got a link you know, to your email or to your books or to your Amazon page on that Facebook page, that's a really, really straightforward, simple way just to get done by the end of today with no kind of technical skills you know and no technical knowledge two two tips though is as i said make sure you've got the about me section filled in fully with with keywords that's what's going to get you found on the web and also make sure you tidy up the the link that facebook gives you so that that also has your keywords in so you're not facebook.com slash one two three four five six seven eight you're facebook.com slash fred blogs author frida blogs author something like that and that will get you found very fast in the search engine so if you want, you know, if, if the thought of having a website completely horrifies you, do that at the very least. And then you can look at things like Wix and Weebly. Reason I don't like those, they're absolutely fine. Nothing wrong with them. I'm not snobby about them. They will give you an amazing looking website, you know, for, for free. But the problem is, if you if you then change your mind or you want more from your website, and you will find you're probably limited quite click, quickly with Wix, you're not going to be able to transfer all your content over to WordPress. That's the problem with it. You're kind of stuck. You're stuck in Wix once you're in there. Now that's fine if you just want to have a, a, a simple page. That's absolutely fine. You could do that. But I think WordPress is a, is a better long-term solution because it also pivots around technological changes as well. So it's going to be WordPress all the way for me, but I'm not snobby about the other solutions. The other thing, now I'm going to talk about MailerLite a little bit later. The other thing is MailerLite allows you to create landing pages where you can have a picture of your book and people can subscribe to your list. In the old style, classic MailerLite, and I'm sure they'll do it in the new style MailerLite. I'll talk to you about that in a moment or two. You can have just a, a very simple web page, and, and you could also do it in the free version of MailerLite too. So there's many options there for creating a website, but it's always going to be WordPress. I'll always say WordPress to you because I think that, you know, hands down is the best long-term solution for a business. Let's move on to listing platforms now. And of course, we start with Amazon. It's the best listing platform it has built-in promos. It's simple to use. You can list your ebook, your paperback book in there very, very simply. For your paperback, it'll give you ready-made ISBNs. You don't need to buy ISBNs. 
you know, it's just very, very simple. You can have all sorts of different promos. You can submit your book for promos. I'm always being accepted, by the way, for different promos. I think I've just been accepted for one in, in India. I don't really take an awful lot of notice of it, but, you know, they're, they're always offering me things, and I'm always happy to take them. Something I'm really pleased about is the fact that they've let me do what I can't archiving now. I am a bit sad like this. I do like a tidy work area. You wouldn't know that if you looked at my desk. It is tidy to me in that around my hands where I type it's tidy, but I've got everything I need within grabbing distance. And that's maybe what makes it look t untidy. But the untidy bits are kind of raised off the desk out the way. So it doesn't feel cluttered to me. But I do like a tidy work area. And I do like being able to archive the old books on Amazon immediately tidied up my work area in Amazon so you know again if, if you if you were coming to me and this is this is just my opinion it's not gospel it's just my opinion if you were coming to me and, and you said I've written a book I want to self-publish it what should I do I, I I literally this is what I say to people I said look just stick it on Amazon as an ebook and it will be very hard for you not to make some sales very hard for you not to make some sales if you put it just on Amazon. If you use the built-in promos, even if you have to lift, list it for free to get rid of some copies, you can pretty well guarantee, unless you've made a monstrosity of a book, you know, with a horrible DIY cover and things. If it's if it's just you know a monstrosity of publishing, unless it's that, that, I think it's very hard not to get rid of some books on Amazon. So that would always be my recommendation: ebook on Amazon. If it doesn't sell say at 99p or, or 99 cents, they'd list it for free and you'll shift some books. You will get some action and you can take it from there. So yeah, I think Amazon has to be the best thing and they're improving it all the time. And I, you know, I pretty well, I like the, the, the money now. I can see what I'm earning day by day by book. You know, I, that was always my big bugbear with Amazon, but they pretty well fixed that now. They're showing that they're responsive to authors. The one terrifying thing, and I'm going to talk to you about this a bit later, I'm going to recommend a web article to you. The one terrifying thing is if Amazon locks your account. Now, I did a survey for Amazon a couple of days ago, and in the feedback section, that's the bit I raised with them. I said, you know, I love Amazon. Everything you do is great. But, you know, when I hear of authors having their accounts clamped and they can't appeal to a human being, that's terrifying when your business is in Amazon. And they really need to sort that. That is the big thing Amazon need to sort. And it's so simple that, it, you know, it's fine. It's fine if AI flags up the account. But you need to, I mean, particularly, you know, if you think how long I've been publishing with Amazon now, it's years. It would be outrageous if my account was clamped. You know, what, what could I possibly be doing after all these years and all these sales? But if an AI gets a, a bee in its bonnet and decides that I've done something wrong, all I need is a dedicated phone line. Certainly, you know, certainly as a, an author of so many years standing, I'm not talking about a first time lister, but as somebody with so many years standing and so many book sales behind me where I can ring up, I can just talk to somebody, we can discuss it and they'll, because I won't have done anything wrong. And if I have, it'll be a mistake. We can put it right straight away and we could all get on as we were. But that that's what we need with Amazon. They need to sort that out, I think, because it's becoming a bit of a problem and it's becoming a bit of a scare and people are nervous of, of, of going all in with Amazon because of that. Other listing platform, and I've got to completely eat my words on this, Smashwords. I mean, how many years have I said to you, it looks old fashioned, it looks a bit dusty, you know, it looks like it's from the 1990s, it needs a refresh. I've been saying that for years. It was, it was with some foundation, by the way, because when I started publishing books, I looked at Smashwords. And in the old days, when I started publishing, you used to get this horrible Smashwords guide that used to tell you, you know, what you had to do to publish your book. And and it was really exacting. And 
it was just too much for me as a new publisher it was too much for me so i thought no, no i'm not doing that and i i must have gone with draft the digital or just amazon whatever i did you know it was too hard for me it was too complicated to go with smash words back then whereas now you know it's dead easy because we just produce files in vellum now we've got all the software so there was a huge resistance where i looked at smash words in the early days that's why i didn't go on it and then i've you know because it doesn't look like much has changed from outside that's why i've kept away from it and then i don't know what made me look at smash words but i went i went back to it anyway and, and i love it now i think it's great i'm sorry smash words all is forgiven you know it's really good oh it was because draft the digital started promoting it and they've they're they're sort of working or it's been taken over by draft the digital now that's really what made me look at it again i listed all my books it was dead easy to list i love the little marketing features and i was selling books on smash words now too so you know it's another place to make money so yep yeah, i'm a, a new convert with smash words i'm very 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 sorry smash words i am recommending that you look at it now i've gone in they've got a big got a big sort of new year sale at the time of recording this I've listed loads of books on that, so I'm interested to see how that works. They do a big annual promotion, but you know why? Why wouldn't you be on a channel that is now simple to list on? You know, if you're if you're publishing your books through Vellum, you just upload the generic file, and, and Smashwords is quite happy with it. So that's a simplified process now. Why wouldn't you list on another channel that costs you nothing and makes you a bit of extra cash? You know, because you're finding new readers. So very happy with Smashwords now and disregard everything I said for the last five or six years about Smashwords because I've completely changed my mind on that one. Drafter Digital, been using it for years, very happy with Drafter Digital. Again, they've become aligned with Smashwords. Now, one of the things, well, a couple of things I think Drafter Digital give you I really like I mean, I, would, I wouldn't list direct on Apple. I've, look, I've looked at it. I think I've even got an Apple account, but I don't like, I'm not using Apple computers. I don't like Apple. You know, my hatred of Apple products has been known for years. I've been quite open about it. So I'm not using Apple products, end of story. I'm happy to use Mac in cloud, but I don't want to be messing around listing books using the Apple system directly. So I list I list for Apple on Drafter Digital. And the same with Barnes & Noble. I've been quite happy listing there, you know, Barnes & Noble. And, and Apple books. And I've, I've had books at the top of charts on Apple listing through Draft Digital. So I've seen no, it hasn't been to my detriment listing them on Draft Digital. I've also done well on Barnes and Noble too, listing via Draft Digital. I do better on Barnes and Noble and Apple books than I do on Google and Kobo. So, you know, it obviously hasn't done me any harm doing that. I love the, the books to read links that you get with Draft Digital, which are free and built in. But I also, they're really doing a really great job now of, of providing promotional opportunities through Drafter Digital. So I get loads of promotional invitations these days. And, you know, I've just submitted to one on Overdrive and, and Apple Books and things like that. You're always being invited to, to take part in promos. And, and what I particularly like is, is if you want to take part in the promo and you're eligible, you just click the button in the email and, it, and it's a really simple sign up process. So. You know, I'm a big fan of Drafter Digital. It's lovely to see them keep evolving. They keep doing good things. So I'm not going anywhere with Drafter Digital. I get, you know, I get money every month from Drafter Digital. It's my second, is it? Yeah, my second biggest payout, is it? After, yeah, that it's between that and Ingram Spark these days. But it's usually my second biggest payout. I'm very happy. Never had any reason to go anywhere else with Drafter Digital. And again, probably their interface is looking a little bit old fashioned now. So they're, they're probably due a little bit of a makeover with the interface, but it's okay. It's within acceptable bounds, I would say, Drafter Digital. And, and their money, the way that you look at the money, I would, you know, it's a bit old fashioned too. You know, I'd like a better, clearer interface with the money on Drafter Digital. Now, I know that you'll tell me that I can get scribe count, but I don't want to. I don't really sell enough. 
I don't really sell enough books wide to justify getting scribe count. You know, it's, a, it's another thing to pay for. I'm not sure I get the value from scribe count, not until I really start kind of hammering things if I'm doing them wide. Google Books is great. Google Books, I mean, I always listed on Google Books. I think I used to do it though. Did I used to do it through Drafter Digital? No, I didn't. I used to do it through Publish Drive. I used to I used to publish on Google Books through Publish Drive, started making some sales on there through Publish Drive, and then Google Books sort of just suddenly kind of came out of the woodwork and they all of a sudden they got a team appearing on podcasts and they were getting feedback and changing the interface and now I just list directly on Google Books very easy to list they you know you could discount your books very easily on Google Books I'm part of the affiliate scheme on Google Books as well and they've also kind of improved their interface it's a much easier to use interface as with all the other things except Amazon I prefer that they improve their sales info. It's very difficult to work out what the heck you've earned on Google Books. You've got to go into spreadsheets and things. I'm not doing that. I expect a nice graphical display to show me, you know, what books I've sold and where. So with Google Books, I don't really sell enough on Google Books for it. It's always a nice little bonus Google Books when it comes in. So I, I never look at it. I just wait for the money to come in and see what I've earned in a particular month. I don't, I don't look at the numbers because they're not going to really change very much. But I, I'm, I'm selling books on Google Books every month. In fact, at the time of recording this, I've just had a bank payment from Google Books today. So, you know, you know it, it kind of, why not? Why not list everywhere if you can? Kobo is robust and straightforward. One of the things I'd recommend is always enter their promos. If you've ever tried putting your books on, what's it called? What's the big one called? Bookbub. That's the one I'm trying to think of. Fancy forgetting Bookbub. We all try and list on Bookbub, and you know we're always knocked back more than we're accepted. But with Kobo, I've got a hit rate of about fifty percent, about fifty percent success rate. You know, so you, it's well worth entering books that you've got wide in Kobo promos. I never really make that much money from them, but I enter them anyway, just to try and, you know, get a, get a pulse going in Kobo. Never really make much money from Kobo. I get I get paid every month from Kobo, but don't make much money from them. And I have to say, though, I, I do get a sense of satisfaction. I take most of my money from, from Amazon, but I, I do have my nonfiction and my sci-fi listed wide. And I do get a great satisfaction, even though I don't get, unless I'm part of a BookBub promo, I don't sort of make sales that are that are exciting on those channels but I do get paid every month by them and I do get a strange sense of satisfaction when I do get paid by them because I just sort of think oh you know these are not really doing much to promote these books and they're bringing in sales and actually when you look at what all these little bits and pieces bring in over the month it's it's, it's worth having and it all goes into the pot of your book income. Kobo, Kobo I want to love and I want, I'd love to do well on Kobo but just nothing's really fired on Kobo for me. Yeah, I just I just can't make Kobo fire, but I will continue to persist because I like it and I want to be in the Kobo ecosystem. Now, Ingram Spark is something that, again, it's one of those things I did for years, but I'm getting a regular income from Ingram Spark now. I, I tend, well, I, I tend not to look at the numbers very much because they were a bit hard to, to look at until recently, but they've just really massively improved the interface for looking at where your money comes from. So I shall start looking at Ingram Spark a lot more and probably get a lot more strategic about Ingram Spark because they've improved the, the income interface now. Whereas before it was like, you know, Google Books, I, I, it was just spreadsheets and I couldn't bear to look at it. It was just too much hassle to work out what was going on. So Ingram Spark, I like Ingram Spark. I'm selling books through Ingram Spark. I, I, I sell quite a few books through Ingram Spark now. I don't do anything to market them. But somehow I'm selling books from Ingram Spark. It allows me to 
say the libraries and bookshops well you could you could buy the books from your usual suppliers and my big tip with ingram spark is if you're going to use ingram spark to get wider distribution on your paperbacks make sure you join the alliance of independent authors because they give you five codes per month to update or submit your books now you have to pay to submit to ingram spark there's absolutely no way would I ever pay? There's no way am I paying to submit books. Not when you take when you take commissions off the book sales anyway. There's absolutely no way am I paying all along the line for that. So the only way I would list on Ingram Spark is with those free Alliance of Independent Author codes. And as I've said many, 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 many times before, clearly this is not going to be of much interest to you if, if you've only got the one or two books. But when you've got 40 books like I have, you know, 30 odd of them are published on Ingram Spark then those codes are well worth having. So it's actually better for me. I would join the Alliance of Independent Authors anyway, but it's a huge benefit for me to get those five codes because it allows me to make changes and updates for free on the Alliance of Independent Authors. But I have to say, if I was paying, what is it, $40 a time to list a book, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. My books would only be available on Amazon. So it's just a happy situation that I would always be a member of the Alliance of Independent Authors anyway but I just happen to get as a benefit those five codes because it enables me never to pay anything to list my books on Ingram Spark. And as I say, I'm making money from it now, which is great. Finally, then, in terms of where to list your books, the listing platforms, Publish Drive is the other place that I list my books. Now, as I said to you, I mainly listed on Publish Drive because it was the best way, the easiest way for me to sell books through Google. That's how I started using it. I would use Publish Drive if I had author collaborations where we split the royalties, and I would still rather do that with my collaboration with John and James, I'd still rather do royalties paid directly rather than being managed manually. It just, to me, it just makes more sense if you've got a kind of interface that we can both look at and the, the royalty payments just get done directly. But that's just my personal preference. I don't, I feel like it's got less to offer smaller authors now. It just feels to me that they're more interested in people who've got loads and loads and loads of books on Published Drive. But I still have all the books that I list wide. They're still on Published Drive. I still get paid occasionally from Published Drive. And Published Drive allows me to mop up loads of different publishing outlets that I couldn't reach anywhere else. So, for instance, you know, I don't know whether I ever make any sales in China, but the, the principles there that I want to. So they are listed on a Chinese web platform so i do like published drive i would still list on published drive though the reasons that the income that i earn from it has gone down and the reasons for me to do it have have diminished but i still would list on published drive i also you know i really like kinga who who runs published drive you know she's great and i you know i like the people who who run the service but it just feels to me like it's just not quite and i've said this to kinga actually when i was at the sps live conference in london you know, it just feels like there's not so much for smaller authors now it, it feels to me like it's you know for bigger publishing companies and things like that I mean, that's fine that's their business model i still use it as a small author i still take small amounts of income from it and i still definitely would list my wide books on published drive to, to to fill the crooks and crannies that the other outlets don't allow me to access this podcast is gonna be a lot longer than i expected so i'm going to finish now with graphics to take us up to around about an hour it'll be, it'll be over an hour that's quite enough for one podcast episode and uh, i'm going to bump marketing 
to the next one because marketing is going to be quite a long and detailed section. So we'll finish now with graphics and I'll move marketing over to next week's podcast. And let's hope that that's slightly shorter because there's such a lot of information here. Yeah, marketing and blogs. I'm going to move over till next week. So to bear with me with that, we might end up doing three episodes the rate this is going. So I'll finish today with graphics. I just wanted to talk to you about the graphics services that I'm using. So I think the one graphic service that you have to use is Canva, canva canva.com. Now I've recently paid for the upgrade with this. This is funny, it's something I've put off for a long, long time. I've used Canva for years now and I use it, not every day, but very, very regularly I use Canva. You know, it must be several times a week that I use Canva. And I use it just to size my social media graphics or to size my blog graphics. You know, when I was doing the podcast, I use it for all my graphics because they're all the right size and I've got a nice little template in there. So anything that you use a template for, you know, particularly for doing podcast episodes, absolutely, you've got to use Canva. But also, it's great for social media graphics as well. Now, uh, recently I paid to upgrade. The reason for that was, is that, you know, sometimes you just want a good quality photograph for a presentation or something like that. And Canva lets you get photographs for free, but they're never the best ones. The best ones are always paid. And I just thought, you know, I I use so many photographs for a lot of, you know, PowerPoint and business presentations and things like that, that it's worth me just paying, is it 99 pounds for the year now? For all these upgrades so i just paid for it i thought let's pay for it for a year see how much i use it and if i don't use it very much we'll just go back to the free version but if i you know if i do use it we'll keep paying for this now when i upgraded i had forgotten that i'd used an app sumo offer that dave gochran had shared with me for depositphoto.com i think it is and i've got loads of photos on deposit photos so i haven't actually used my credits there so i was probably a bit a bit quick to upgrade to canva but i'm still going to let it run for a year and make a decision because you know the, the deposit photo pictures they do an app sumo offer every year and i would advise you to look out for it and join dave gochran's mailing list to see whether you know he always promotes it presumably as an affiliate so does dave Chef, Chef, dave chesson does it by the way as well they promote the AppSumo offer but deposit photo will probably give most people enough photographs and frankly it would probably give me enough photographs for the year but canva i just wanted to play with canva with the just wanted to play with the videos as well they're just doing a lot more stuff with canva now i just wanted to have a little play with it so i've paid 99 pound for a year and let's see how we get on with it but what, what i particularly love about it is it just gives me so many brilliant photographs stock photos that i can use they're all licensed that it just takes that little bit of pain away from me but i've used it for free for years and may well go back to using it for free because it's pretty it's pretty well everything you need for general use is at canva.com book brush now i'm in two minds about book brush i don't really i don't really use book brush unless i'm doing book bub ads i really like it for making book brush ads because it's got the right sizing and it's got things like, you know, buy now buttons and things like that. And that's primarily really why I use Bookbrush because it's got those, it's got the logos in for all the various book sites. And it's it's brilliant for a BookBub ad if you're doing the, the kind of display ads on BookBub. That's pretty well the only reason I use it. I've tried the 3D book cover maker, which I don't really like. And it's pretty ropey actually, or it was the last time I looked. Oh, and the other thing I like is, you know, you, you could, is it, what do they call it? I forgot what they call it, but you could basically put your book cover in and it creates like 200 pictures of your book, like with somebody reading it by a pool and laying on a coffee table. It just makes all these wonderful promo graphics. And, and every book I've ever done, 
I've always created every single graphic I can and then downloaded it onto my PC. So I've, I'm never short of a promo graphic for a book. So I do use Bookbrush, but I'm in two minds about it. And, and <laughs> even though I'm in two minds about it, they did a Black Friday offer. And, and so I upgraded. I, w- I was going to, again, I was going to run it for a year and say, do I get any value out of this or should I just forget Bookbrush? And then they had a Black Friday offer for the, the full kit. So I, I upgraded to the full kit and I've got the full service on Bookbrush to the end of July. So I thought, okay, it will cover my new series. When I'm doing all the promo graphics and things for my new series, I'll get value from it because I'll put those three books in and I'll, I'll have all the images and if I, I, I look at videos to promote it as well, you know, I want to try doing some little videos on Facebook, which I haven't done before. So I'll, I'll compare Bookbrush with Canva. So I have upgraded. Bookbrush has never quite done it for me. It's, it's never quite had the quality that I wanted. It's good. And nobody, you know, nobody's quite like Bookbrush, but it's just not quite there for me, usually with the graphical quality that that's i think my 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 issue with book brush it's almost there but not quite so this is why i keep dithering with it you know i sort of i want to use it i want it to be brilliant but in actual fact i don't it's like it's like the 3d book covers i tried that and thought oh no i could do this better elsewhere with I'll tell you what i use in a moment i could do it elsewhere that the covers look better they look a bit blocky i think on book brush so if they just fixed a couple of these things it would be kind of to coin a phrase I don't really like using, it would be a, no, a no-brainer, you know, because they've kind of got that bit of the market cornered for authors. So it's an almost, but not quite. I have paid again. Let's see how we get on, you know, see how I'm feeling at the end of July when I've got my new covers for my new books and I've squeezed them through Canva and everything else to get to all the promotional graphics and I've tried making videos. Let's see how I feel then and see if I've changed my mind. But in the meantime, depositphoto.com. Just get one of the AppSumo offers. You know, it's something like 100 photos for very little money. And that will, that will give you at least access to photos if you use it for blogs or presentations or promotions. The, the other thing you can use, you know, I, I still like Fiverr. When I get my book covers from the designer, I'll go straight to the Fiverr person that I use. And they always do me lovely box sets. And I'll just get my box sets done on Fiverr. And that'll cost me $5 and they're brilliant. But also I still like mycovermaker.com so when i get the when i get the covers back from the designer and they'll be flat i stick them through mycovermaker.com i usually pay them for one month's upgrade and then i create loads and loads of different pictures of the covers you know that are they're on you get them so they look like they're on a an amazon reader a mobile phone you get paperback versions you know hardback versions it just it just does it any way you want so i, I always get this when i've got books you know i wait till i've got all three covers and I squeeze it through everything to make as many promo images as I can get. And I upgrade usually to do that. But I still like myecovermaker.com. I was an affiliate for it, but it, it seems to have gone a bit flaky with affiliates. But I, I still use it myself. And you could use it for free. You could try it for free. But I always upgrade. What I do is I don't have a, an ongoing subscription. I just pay for one month's use when I need to make. And I do loads of graphics, catch up with the graphics. And then at the end of the month, just go back to the free membership again. But I, I still use my cover maker. It's still the best thing I've found to make my 3D covers. It's still the thing I prefer. And I've still got an ancient copy of Photoshop installed on this PC, would you believe? For the very, very rare occasion that it's quicker for me to just go into Photoshop and, you know, twist something around. If I want to flip it, I usually use Photoshop. And if I just want to crop a, an element from it, I usually use Photoshop. Or if I'm working in Photoshop layers, which you tend not to, it's something you used to do in the old days. I tend not to use Photoshop layers now, but I used to use 
Photoshop layers, and that's why I used it. So, but I, I still wouldn't get rid of that copy of Photoshop because if I just need to open up graphic and just do something quick with it, often Photoshop is the is the quickest way to do it. But I very very rarely use it nowadays. But I wouldn't uninstall it from my computer just yet. Okay, we're over an hour on this podcast. I didn't want to do another kind of two-hour marathon, and I think it might be a two-hour marathon if I go into marketing and if I go into blogs and websites. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bump that till next week. We may end up getting three podcasts out of this a lot because there's an awful lot to say and to share with you. So (laughs) that is it for this week's show at just over an hour. I'll have part two of the review of the publishing tools that I'm using next week. And so we'll put into that writing writing books that I use, writing book resources, blogs and websites and marketing. And if we have time, I'd like to get to podcasts, my favorite learning resources, the miscellaneous software I use across my business, plus a look into the future at the AI tools I'm using. I'm using more AI tools than I ever thought I'd use in my business now, and I want to share those with you. But I'm suspecting, because this is an hour, I may have to split that up into another two podcasts. We'll see how we get on when I come to record that. That'll keep the mystery and the suspense going. That is it for this week. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope that you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague, it's bye-bye for now. This podcast is supported by affiliate sales of memberships to the Alliance of Independent Authors, the professional business membership organisation for self-published authors. I found that I usually cover the cost of membership by using the special codes given out for free listings and revisions on Ingram Spark. Use a couple of those over the course of a year and your membership is easily paid for. However, Ally is much more than that. You can access expert advice, great support and community, a range of podcasts suitable for authors of all levels, and the amazing online conferences which gather industry titans several times a year in order to share their best tips and tricks. When you purchase your Ally membership through my affiliate link, you pay the same price as normal, but I take a percentage of the sale proceeds, which goes to support my time and effort in producing this podcast. To check out the best essential professional membership service for all indie authors, head over to paulteague.net forward slash ally. That's A-L-L-I.